He asked me this week if this was an outline. It is not an outline. Uh, I'll explain it more as we go along, um, but it will be used during the sermon. So hopefully it'll be of use to you if you take notes. You can jot some things down on it. Uh, It may not be used to you, but it was useful to me as I prepared the sermon. So, many reject their faith because they think that Jesus can... They no longer think that Jesus can or will deliver. They are angry at Christianity because all they see are the rules that restrain them from what they believe to be the fullness of life here and now. Religion to them is at best smoke and mirrors and at worst human manipulation and control. And to this... The growing complexity of problems in this world, you add these in, and it's easy to wonder if Jesus really is the simple answer. Is faith alone in Christ alone enough? Maybe, just maybe, there's something more. Something out there, other than Christ, that you need. And our hearts begin to let go of the confidence that we had at first that Jesus Christ really is enough. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's three of the five solas of the Reformation. It means the onlys. Solas means onlys. So the three of the five onlys. And in our passage today, we are going to focus on the only of Christ, Christ alone. The Colossians had not rejected Christ entirely, but they had begun to doubt whether all that they hoped for in salvation could be found in Christ alone. They were departing out of Christ. In reality, their, their view of Christ was too small. Jesus was great, but there were areas of life that were somewhat outside of his control. And there are other forces in the world that could contribute to the happiness that I so much need. Ah, What's the harm in adding something to Jesus? Something else that will help me be happy. The Bible is absolutely emphatically clear. Our faith must be in Christ alone. Not Christ plus anything else. And typically when we say Christ plus anything else, we're talking about trust in our own works to save us. Christ works, not our works. Clark does a great job of explaining to us the need for justification in our salvation. But in this passage, Paul is focusing more on the person of Christ, who he is in his being, who he is in his nature, rather than just his work on the cross. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are not only believing in the work of Christ, you are believing in the person of Christ. You can't really separate the two. I mean, you can instruction-wise, but in reality, you you believe in one Christ, right? His person and his work. 
In these verses, we find some of the most exalted theology of Christ in all of Scripture. And I'm going to break down the passage by this. All things are in Him, through Him, and to Him. You hear that? All things are in Him, and through Him, and to Him. And you can take this out if you want right now, this little sheet here. You'll notice in verses 15 and 16, you can see the emboldened print. In Him was created all things. All things through Him and to Him have been created. So that's the, the first section. Then if you skip down to verses 19 and 20, you see the same three statements. In Him was pleased to dwell all the fullness, through Him to reconcile all things, and to Him, or to Himself, after making peace. So you can see that in Him, and through Him, and to Him. And so this is how I have divided the, two, the passage up for you to see. So beyond that, uh, I've, I've kind of done a lot of indents. You can, you can do whatever you want with that. You can even ask questions of why I indented it the way I did. But that's another thing. I just want you to see that breakdown of the two sections. In him, through him, to him. We're going to start reading in verse 13, even though that we'll really be dealing with verses 15 to 20. The word of God from Colossians 1, beginning in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. May God bless the reading of his holy word. <clears throat> this idea of in him and through him and to him is, is, is not just found here in Colossians. Uh, the, probably the most famous place is in the book of Romans, the doxology, uh, Romans 11, where it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. That's the... And, and if you can't read Paul very much, and not see this idea of in him all over the place. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul begins by saying that his beloved son, the beloved son of the Father, in whom they all believe is the image of the invisible God. Now it's easy to miss the point of this. Every one of you have been created in the image of God. You could just think, well, Adam was created in the image of God, Eve was created in the image of God, I'm created in the image of God, so he's just basically saying Jesus is human. Hardly. He's saying, and this is a fine distinction in this passage, but there's one thing to be created in the image of God, it's another thing to be the image of God. And that's what Christ is. 
He is the image from which Adam was created. What does this mean for us? If you want to know God, if you are here today and you want to know God, you can only find him in Christ. That's the point. In Jesus Christ, you do not have some of God. You do not have something close to God. In Jesus Christ, you have God. Period. When we begin to wonder if coming to church is worth all the effort, when we doubt if reading and studying the Bible is worth the time and energy, remember this. The Word of God and the preaching of God are the primary means by which we come to know Jesus and all of our hopes rest in knowing Christ Jesus. That's why you come. That's why you persevere. And Paul immediately couples this statement of being in the image of God with the statement, He's the firstborn of all creation. And firstborn can be very misunderstood, just like image is understood. When we hear firstborn, we think of a couple coming together having their first child. Their firstborn. And Paul is using the, the human firstborn analogy to try to explain firstborn. But he's not simply talking about any kind of natural birth. This idea of firstborn has more to do with who he is in his dignity and power. Who he is in his preeminence over all things. Back in Genesis 49, I don't want to go back there too much. We spent a lot of time in Genesis. But when Jacob was talking about his firstborn, Reuben, he said these words. You are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Those are the concepts that are being communicated when you say firstborn. Preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. This is what we should think of when we think about Jesus. He is higher and more exalted and unequaled, surpassed by no one in all of the creation. That's what we're thinking about when we call him the firstborn. Preeminence is a good term, I think. And so I would say to you, whatever amazes you about the creation, whatever amazes you about another person, owes their awesomeness to Christ. He is the one preeminent. And their awesomeness or their amazingness or the amazing thing that you see in this world is uh, not nearly as awesome as Christ himself. He surpasses everyone else in awesomeness. It's what Paul is saying. This is your Christ. He is firstborn over the creation. This brings us to the heart of Paul's argument in verses 16 and 17. For by him, and I'm not exactly sure why the ESV uses by here. The word is in. The Greek word is in, in him. In him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him or 
to him. I like in him and through him and to him. You can be okay with from him and through him and for him if you want. It's not one of the difficulties in trying to translate prepositions is that they have a wide range of meanings, so it's hard to, to translate them. So in, in can mean by the instrument of. But it can also mean originating from, spatially or logically. A human child comes forth from the parents. In some mysterious sense, the child was in the parents before the child was even born. The creation comes forth from God. It's not God, but its very existence comes from the origin of God. Think about an artist before he paints some kind of portrait or painting. The painting must first exist in his own mind. He is putting something that is first in him onto the canvas. That's what's happening in creation. There's something that we, this whole creation, was created in Christ. He is the one from whom it bursts forth onto the pages of our existence. It is also through his hand. Of course, Christ is the means by which the creation itself comes forth. He was active in the process of creation. That means he has power over the creation. There is, there is skill there is craftsmanship that is taking place. Wisdom, I think the Bible would use a lot, as the way that Christ is exerting his wisdom as he creates. So it comes from him, but it's also through him. And then it, thirdly, it is to him, meaning that it is for his enjoyment. The creation itself is being presented to him. We could think of it as the Father, intended the creation as a gift for the Son. We can see that the purpose of the creation itself is to be presented to the Son. But really what we need to think about is that, that Jesus Christ, as he is thinking of creation, as he is working creation, his goal and his purpose is to present that creation back to himself. Have you ever created anything for yourself? I don't know. It might be something so simple as a good meal. Or it might be something so big as a, a house that you have designed and really built with all of your thoughts and creativity in it. It could be large, it could be small. You know, you could go to a fast food restaurant and get a meal, but it really that meal wasn't crafted for you. But if you know the different tastes that you like and the combinations and you, and you craft that meal with your own thoughts in mind. That's a little bit of what Christ has done in the creation. Or when you build that house, and yeah, you, you moved into a house and you might add some of your final touches, but if you actually built the house with your thoughts in mind, this is what I want in this house. This is what Christ has done with the creation. This is why we exist for him. 
And this is why, this gives value to you. This is more a sermon on who Christ is and not who we are. But it gives value to you with your specific individual traits and qualities. Even in the fallenness of this life, you have been specifically designed to give pleasure to him. That's your value. The creation is in him. It is through him. It is to him. I hope that phrase sticks in your mind. And it's not just a portion of the creation that is in and through and to. All things are in and through and to. And so he begins to kind of further expound this. He says, everything in heaven and on earth. And that's what we call Marism. It's like A to Z and everything in between. It could be just referring to the physical universe, like the earth and all of space. But it could just as easily have been the earth and space and the spiritual realm as well. And that's what I think is going on because the very next statement is visible and invisible. Abraham Kuyper is famous for quoting, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. This means the heavenly throne room was created for Christ. This means the angels were created for Christ. Even the fallen angels are part of his control in him and through him and to him. There is nothing. When he says thrones and dominions, yes, it refers to the thrones and dominions that we can see, but it also refers to those we can't see. It is as if this whole universe, you have a physical universe, and somewhere beside it you have the spiritual universe as well, and you can't see the spiritual universe, but it doesn't matter, because Christ is the one in and through and to all of it belongs. You're not supposed to talk about the the spiritual realm just for your curiosity. Paul doesn't delve into it and say, you know, get into the demonic world or anything like that. But he does want you to know it belongs to Jesus. And so I'm going to say it this way. Given the fact of the fall, and given where we live in this context, these are the types of things that I believe Paul is intending. The physical forces of nature. Helpful or harmful ones. A soft rain that replenishes the soil. Or a hurricane that devastates the land. Good health. Poor health. Genetic defects, mental disorders, diseases, cancer, arthritis, dementia, aging, cultural forces, popular trends, societal influences, social media, peers, political forces, government leaders, judges, spiritual forces, angels, and demons. Anything that you can possibly think of is in and through and to Christ. And when you begin to understand this, 
you begin to say, oh, I get it. Why my faith must be in Christ alone. So far, Paul has been discussing the beloved son's relationship to the creation. In verses 19 and 20, he's going to talk about Paul's relationship to the new creation. And verses 17 and 18 are kind of a transitional link between those two. Paul tells us that Christ is before all things. If you wonder before whether being firstborn, and I, you know the Arians and other heresies taught that Christ was just the first thing that Christ that God created, he says here, no, this Christ is before all things, which means he cannot be created. He must be fully God. He existed prior to the created cosmos. He is uncreated. And in him, all things hold together. And that means they continue to exist because of him. So we might have said that they were created through him, but now we're saying that they actually continue to be in existence because he's holding them together. You know the old picture of Atlas holding up the earth? You know, you got that picture. Or we picture Christ not only holding the earth, but holding all the universe and all of the spiritual realm. Everything that is existing today is being held together by him. Commentator Dunn says, without him, electrons would not continue to circle nuclei. Gravity would cease to work. The planets would not stay in their orbits. And I would add, the angelic realm would collapse upon itself. Think about this. If you're ever fearful of demons, remember that their existence only is possible because Christ holds them together. Let's them go and they no longer exist. And I need to hear that because sometimes I give too much weight to them. The Son of God is truly amazing. Of course, we know this present creation is not visibly in, in uh, subjection to him. It looks like it's spiraling out of control. People are in rebellion to him. I get all those things. But this is the purpose of redemption. Christ is redeeming a people for himself from this world. And when he has finished redeeming a people for himself, he will fix this world again. You see, the Son, that whom you believe, is not only in and through into the old creation, he is in and through into the new creation, of which you are a part through faith alone. It's not that he just scraps this creation and starts over. He actually restores this creation. He, he takes death and he removes it. He takes disease, he gets rid of it. He takes wasting away of any kind and he gets rid of it. Aging where you get old, you get all of it gone. And he's able to do that because he is in the position to be able to do that. How does Paul come to know this? How does he figure this out? I mean, this is not the kind of stuff you just 
ponder and say, oh yeah, this is what's going to happen. This is it. You don't get this by looking at the world. Paul sees the resurrected Christ. And he sees in Christ's resurrection the very beginning of the new creation. That's what he sees. He sees a man just like he could have seen before. And he sees this man, and yet he's not a person who is under any of the effects of the sin or the curse. And he will never again be subjected to temptation or evil or pain or suffering. He is the exalted Christ. And he says to himself, that's the beginning of the new creation. And if he is the beginning of the new creation, then all of the new creation, his position in the new creation, must be the same as it was in the old creation. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now notice just the wording of beginning and firstborn. We've already talked about that, right? In the old creation, now we're returning to it again. He's doing the same thing. Only now he's talking about the church, of which he is the head. If you know anything about headship, it means two things. It means authority over, but it also means that the origin and source come from him. The church exists in Christ as his body. He is to be preeminent in all things. Just as he is preeminent over the old creation, so he is also preeminent over the church and over the new creation. We see here that he is the firstborn from among the dead. Of course, he is the first one to actually rise from the dead. But he is preeminent over all those who also are dead and who will rise again. See, the church finds its existence in him and through him and to him. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, the fullness of God always dwelt in the second person of the Trinity. There was never a time that the fullness of God did not dwell in the second person of the Trinity. But now saying mystery among mystery is that this human being who died on a cross and has been risen from the dead, all of the fullness of God dwells in him. And you are the body of the one in whom the fullness of God dwells. So guess what to be said of you? The fullness of God dwells in the church. Don't be looking out there for the fullness of God. It's here that we gather to worship. It's just a symbolic representation of this, but it's a reality that we will all experience one day. We will be the body of Christ, the fullness of God. Verse 20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Now it's not, some people have taken this all things to mean that there will not be a hell and there will be, you know, all people will eventually be saved. It's a universalism. Of course, if you read the rest of Paul, you understand that that's not what he's saying. But he is saying this, that Christ is not just redeeming a people. 
but all things in reference to the new creation. So he's not just bringing the people and then putting them back in the old creation. He's going to redeem the planets. He's going to redeem the way the trees grow, the earth. There won't be any curse. He's going to redeem all of that so that it will function as it's supposed to function. All things are in him and through him and to him. <clears throat> I'm intrigued by the study of space, I like astronomy. I like thinking about how far out there. I was a Trekkie in my day. I, I liked Star Trek. <laughs> so the idea of just like exploring worlds unknown. But let me tell you something. The fullness of God will not be found out there somewhere. It is found in Christ. The key to the universe, the key to your happiness, is in Christ alone. The world searches in vain for meaning out there. It is in Christ. This is why it is really true that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Now, I'm aging myself a little bit. A songwriter, Keith Green, says, You can run to the end of the highway, and you will not find what you're looking for. <clears throat> now, this passage forces me to see Christ as more. And I want him to be more in my thoughts and my attitudes. But I have to tell you that this passage makes me also feel shame. I far too often live as if Jesus requires my devotion, but is not worthy of my devotion. Oh, I know I have to give him my devotion. I know that I have to love him. But you know what? It's kind of like loving a dull rock that you don't really care much about, but you have to. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the truth. He has everything. He's not asking you to sacrifice to love him as if he's some kind of wimpy, needy savior. He is in, in whom all things exist. And so I am guilty of thinking small thoughts of Jesus. I find myself not living by faith alone in Christ alone. I find myself not not looking at submission to his will as my greatest delight, but something I must give to him reluctantly. But I also think that there's great peace and there's great joy in this passage. The church is not a self-propelled ship. The church runs on Christ in Christ alone. As members of the church, we strive to build her up. We strive to, to be faithful to the truth. We strive to care for people and shepherd people. But in the end... The church exists because of Christ. We can trim the sails. We can lift the anchor. We can 
get the rudder pointed in the right direction, but it's Christ who blows the ship in the direction he wants it to go. And that's not always comfortable for me. I want more control. I want to make it happen myself. That's not the way it works. If we really believe that we are a church that believes in faith alone, in Christ alone, we have to believe that the church is being built by Christ. We are only his instruments. He is the one. In the end, it is really about Jesus and less about us. In him and through him and to him are all things. Amen.